Let's move to a more serious question. What does the Bible say about assisted suicide, even in extreme cases? What does the Bible say about assisted suicide? Um, What does the Bible say about euthanasia or um, mercy killing? Well, there's two ways to answer this question, and I am hoping to cover both, and I hope that both will be helpful, one to give us a direct answer to the question, one to kind of frame how we should think about questions like this. And so the first answer is just a biblical command. What does the Bible say? If we were to just go straight to the Bible with this question, what does the Bible say about assisted suicide? What answer would we get? And the answer we'd get is that God is pro-life, not just in the anti-abortion sense. God is for life. He's for old life, he's for young life, he's for disabled life, he's for unborn life, he's for people who are right on the doorstep of death life. He's pro-life. Commands are centered around the preservation of life. Commands are centered around joy and safety and equality of value and worth of every human being. So when we look at the law of God, it's not that God is like looking at his, his creation, his little group of people, and saying, what rules should I put in place and see how they react? What God is doing is he's looking, and, and God is a God of love. He's a God who's of creation. He's a God who created, and he's a God of life. And so he's created these laws for the, so for the best possible way for this creation to live. His laws are perfect. And so his laws clearly demonstrate that he is pro-life. Um, Thou shalt not kill. Very clear command in scripture. So what does the Bible say about suicide in the first place? Because assisted suicide is just kind of like a a person who would like to commit suicide is unable to, or maybe unwilling to, um, somebody helping them out. But what does the Bible say about suicide? Well, in the Bible there are seven people total who committed suicide. There's Abimelech. And he committed suicide because he lacked a personal identity. He, there is Samson, and Samson killed himself and, and many Philistines. Um, it was kind of a cause that he believed in, and he was getting vengeance or revenge. Um, Saul, who committed suicide because he lost the war. He um, was rejected. He was a failure, and so he killed himself. Um, there was Saul's armor bearer, who committed himself out of impulse, and it was just somebody around him had done it, and so um, he thought he should do it too. Maybe it was because he felt loyal to Saul. Um, what's interesting about this is that, uh, an interesting statistic is that 40% of teenagers who commit suicide do it because one of their friends just did it. That's a, those are very high statistics. Um, it's, they call this impulse suicide, where the idea just gets into somebody's head, and, and it seems now more viable because it's been done by somebody around them, and so they... Go ahead and do it. And so maybe Saul's armor bearer would be this situation. Um, there's Ahithophel, and Pastor will be getting to this fairly soon in 2 Samuel chapter 17. And he was bitter because his advice wasn't taken, and so he killed himself. Um, there's Zimri, who um, was had this big problem with authority, and it was kind of out of rebellion, so he, he killed himself. And there's Judas, who betrayed Christ. He was depressed. He was um, trapped in his sin, and so his way out was suicide. So there are a lot of examples of people who committed suicide in the Bible, but interestingly enough, the Bible doesn't specifically reference 
a person killing themselves, unless you understand that the Bible references people killing people, and that's enough. That there didn't need to be a separate category of suicide. Well, if I kill somebody else who's innocent, what happens? Well, thou shalt not kill, so you, you shouldn't do it. Well, what if I kill myself? You know, I'm my own personal property. I, I can do with myself what I want. And I think the Bible would say, no, you're not. And that is killing God's creation. That is killing an image bearer of God, even if you're killing yourself. And so there doesn't need to be a separate category. Um, it is the unbeliever trading temporal pain for eternal pain. It is the believer acting against a body that belongs to the Lord. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. And so suicide uh, to the secular mind seems like it makes sense, at least, at least to some people. You're in so much pain. You're depressed. You're in so much a great deal of difficulty. And so suicide is a viable answer. But to the Christian and, and to the word of God, we see that we are not our own. That, the, that this body is not mine to do whatever I want with. It, it belongs to God. And so I have to give it over to the glory of God, which I was created for. That is a, an easy answer. But when you're dealing with somebody who's in a great deal of pain and dealing with somebody who's depressed, the situations aren't easy. So I hope we understand that theory, that theoretical answers or, or giving um, even true answers are a lot easier said than done, right? And, and so as a Christian, I think it's important that we um, educate ourselves a little bit when it comes to areas of pain and depression and, and difficulty like that. I think that we should be um, ready and willing to help people that are going through that thing. I think we should uh, do our best not to be judgmental and not to assume that everybody that's ever considered thoughts of suicide is, is just... Um, being as evil as they can be, a lot of times they really feel like that's their only way out and that's better for them and it's better for everybody around them. And we know that's not the case, but we should be able to approach these topics with, um, with some love and some concern and maybe some knowledge of them. Um, so what about, what about when we get to those really difficult parts where we're talking about somebody, that the question actually included in extreme circumstances. What about assisted suicide? And so I'm picturing a person who is, um, knows they're going to die. Uh, there, there's not really any hope of their survival. Um, they're in extreme amounts of pain. And all that's happening with them continuing to live is their suffering is being extended. It's being prolonged. There are three types of euthanasia or assisted suicide. The first type is active euthanasia. The second type is unnatural passive euthanasia. And the third is natural passive euthanasia. And so active euthanasia would be physically taking out a gun and killing the person or squirting something into their IV that is going to end their life. That would be actively taking a role in killing someone. The second one is unnatural passive. And that's where you take, uh, you take away a vital need that the person has that is a normal need for all people to have. So you, you didn't allow them to breathe anymore. You just close their mouth, you close their nose. Or, or that would be probably more active. Um, a better example is probably you don't feed the person. Okay? So the person no, no, doesn't have anything to eat, drink, anything to eat. And so by um, 
unnaturally removing just a very normal act of living from them or, un, or, or taking away um, very obvious care of them that is normal for human beings to give, that would be the unnatural passive euthanasia. And the final type of euthanasia would be passive natural euthanasia. And so that is where you're not taking an active role and all you're doing is rem- maybe removing unnatural devices that are keeping a person alive. So if somebody is um, in a great deal of suffering and the only reason that that's happening is because they're on life support and they're, they have machines that are pumping their blood and machines that are breathing for them, machines that are doing everything for them, um, removing those things would be of a, a more natural passive euthanasia. All right? Now, um, I, I believe, and I think Bible Clarity teaches, the sanctity of life. Um, I, I think that active euthanasia and unnatural passive euthanasia would both be equivalent to murder. I understand the feelings and the difficulty that people experience. I, I mean, I don't, I don't fully understand. I've never experienced. But I know that, um, that it can be very, very difficult for people. But I also believe that we have a God who does work through pain, and he has a purpose in pain. And so though pain might be terrible, I mean, it makes glory all the much better. It, it shows us what this sinful life really brought. You see a loved one going through pain, and you know that there's got to be more to this world than, than what's here. There's got to be something better than this, because it's just not natural to see people in that kind of pain. And so it makes us long for eternity, long for heaven, and long for a better place. And all those things are good things. And, and I, don't, I can't begin to know all of the things and all the reasons that God brings about pain in our lives, but he does on a regular basis. And so ending that pain actively, um, or even just removing food or something, I would see that as a, a, um, an act of murder. So I, I guess that's where I, I, I land on that. The natural passive euthanasia, where you essentially pull the plug, uh, that's where you're the person is, they've got nothing inside them that's still living except that there's machines keeping them alive. And I, I would understand that action. I don't think that would be murder. Um, that's, that's my opinion. And so you can do with it what you may. That's the first answer to the question, um, biblically. The second answer is from a philosophical Christian worldview. And so when we come to a question like this, we might say, we might, we might be tempted to say, yeah, I want to follow the Bible when it comes to the sanctity of life, and I understand all of those things that you're saying, and I believe that we should try and preserve life as much as possible, but this is a very unique situation. There's a unique kind of pain, and the suffering is just going to be prolonged, and so I can really make sense of why this would be the one uh, situation where we would practice assisted suicide. You might do that, and, and I'm not... I'm not saying that the thinking from a secular viewpoint is flawed. I think that there are a lot of situations where that thinking makes the most logical sense. And so we, would be, we could be tempted to say, you know what? This is an, an example that maybe the Bible doesn't clearly speak to, and so I'm just going to take a liberty on it. This, is, this would be why I think that is problematic. Um, Christians are commanded to obey God to obey the commands of God, to obey the word of God. We are not commanded to obey when or obey if. We're not commanded to obey if we can see the ending. 
or when we think that it's the right thing to do, or when we feel like it's going to have the best outcome. There are two types of ethics. There is uh, deontological ethics, and there are teleological ethics. And and those types of ethics branch out into a number of different um, versions as well, or, or branches from there. But deontological ethics are... Um, it is the ethical position that judges the morality of an action based on the action's adherence to a rule or rules. It is sometimes called duty or obligation or rule-based ethics because rules bind you to your duty. And as a Christian, I think deontological ethics are the only way that we can, we can go. Because what deontological ethics says is that I am bound to the word of God. I am bound to the commands of God, whether or not I understand why it's right, why it's good, what what, what the outcome is going to be. I need to obey God. The second group of ethics are teleological ethics, and it's a theory of ethics according to which the rightness of an act is determined by its end. So what we do is we foresee the consequences. We determine, based on the consequences, what we should do, how we should act. And so what happens with a situation like this, where you have somebody who is suffering and in pain, and you say, is is assisted suicide the right way to go here? Um, We tempted to say, well, you know what? I can see the end of this, and there are two options. One is more suffering, and one is to end the suffering. And so then based on the consequences of the action that we'll do, we determine whether the action is right or wrong. Okay, And that... Philosophy, it makes logical sense. But the problem is, what you can begin to do is you can begin to explain all the commands of Scripture if you can justify why not keeping the commands of Scripture brings about a better consequence for you or for someone else. right? And and so, all of a sudden, you become the one who determines when rules apply and when rules don't apply. You become the one that determines how God rules, God's rules should actually be lived out in this world and, and when they make sense and when they don't make sense. And so if you were to take the exact same scenario and apply it to abortion, then you can find many women who you could say, okay, I, I, can, I understand that the consequence might be a negative thing, and so abortion is the most logical step here. But that would be teleological ethics. That would be the, I'm looking at the consequence. And, and I think as a Christian, we're... Men say, yes, I, I get this is a horrible situation. Uh, and maybe the, in situations where they didn't get themselves in it, if they were raped or something like that, you know, it's a horrible situation for the person to be in. But that doesn't mean we change what's right and wrong to fit the situation. Right? It means we help and we aid and we do whatever we can, but we keep the, the commands of God as being true and right and just, and we believe them and we follow them. And so I think a Christian has a duty to obey the word of God. Uh, we are not consequentialists. We are not um, people who just l- try and determine the end and then play God and determine what's right and wrong based on our view of the consequence. So, uh, this question, two answers. One is what the Bible say directly. And the second is, how does how we think about this question affect how we might think about a lot of things? And, and hopefully that will be helpful for you, not just in this area, but in others as well. All right? Those are my four questions for tonight. We will get into more in the future. Thank you for coming this evening.
feel like, how do we end a service like this? Very natural to end with a word of prayer. So we should do that. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night, Lord, and I thank you for this time spent um, looking at your word and, and trying to think in a Christian way um, through a Christian worldview about difficult subjects and questions and some even fun questions, Lord. I, I um, just thank you for all the mystery of, of your word and, and how you've given us minds to think about these things and the ability to understand them. And, and God, I pray that we would um, now seek to live out your word. And God, I pray that we would constantly be asking questions and going to your word to find the answers. And 